0: It's not just the throughput, but it's also there's some, I think, user experience related latency considerations. Those humans want to see responses quickly. It's often that the human-based API endpoints need to have low latency, but also relatively low throughput. Then when you look at the API endpoints that the devices, the agents on the devices are using to check into, the latency actually tends to matter a lot less, but the throughput matters a lot more. And so we have to think about these things a bit differently. I'm Zach Wasserman, and I'm the CTO at Fleet Device Management.
1: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. It six months moonlighting. There's nothing like the back come. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know it what to do next. Took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. The company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, pain. we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, my dear. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really want it's it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Stories. I'm your host, Noah and Today, how Zach Wasserman is making device management lighter than air by creating a GitOps-driven MDM. This episode is supported by Turso. Turso is the open-source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there, too. Turso makes this easy, utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech Codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com Codestory. Zach Wasserman lives near Vancouver, but grew up a child of the 90s in Berkeley, California. The dot-com boom was happening around him, so he found himself fascinated with this era in tech, with little understanding of the details. He was a skater kid riding around the Bay Area, typically on a shortboard over a longboard. Nowadays, he's more into the outdoors as a mountain biker, rock climber, and backcountry skier. He enjoys the vast selection of Chinese food at his home near Vancouver. In 2014, Zach was working at Facebook. During that time, a team member wanted to build a platform where they could know what was going on with all of their assorted machines. They needed a way to ask questions without writing code, and more quickly get answers about their community of devices. This is the creation story of Fleet. Fleet
0: the company is a new approach to managing your computing devices we've got in organizations and particularly in enterprises we've got this wide array of computing devices that folks are using these days of course there's the traditional stuff like workstations servers but now we've got mobile devices we've got iot devices we've got container technologies and kubernetes And there's just so many different kinds of computing devices and also through that like a huge range of competing and somewhat overlapping and somewhat complementary products to do the management both from an IT perspective and from a security perspective. And so what Fleet has done is we've taken an open source project that was originally created at Facebook and that, that I helped co-create at Facebook back in 2014. That project is called OS Query, and it runs across Mac, Linux, and Windows. And we've used that project, which by the way, since 2014 has now been transferred to the Linux Foundation, so it's like a totally community-oriented project of the Linux Foundation. We use OS Query to collect data about all of these computing devices. And then what we're moving into is more of the active management of the devices space. And we've really embraced some of the principles that came from DevOps, such as configuration as code. And we're helping folks move from the more traditional kind of click ops, IT, and security workflows to GitOps ops, and, and again, configuration as code. It's all very much inspired by open source, building things that are hackable and that allow organizations with some technical competence to really customize and integrate into their workflows. And I think it's really the new paradigm that's emerging in security and IT. Going back to 2014, I was working at Facebook on the security team And this guy, Mike Arpaia, joined Facebook with the vision to create a cross platform open source agent that would help to answer questions about what's going on the computers that I manage. And Mike had the really novel insight that we needed a way to make it such that you didn't have to be a software engineer, you didn't have to know how to write code in order to ask new questions. And so the really cool thing was that as we started to research into this, we discovered that SQLite has a really interesting concept called virtual tables, where you can actually have functions that get called to generate the data as if it were in an actual table in the database, but it doesn't have to be. So then what we did in OS Query was we figured out how to hook these virtual tables up to the OS APIs and to the file system and to all the sorts of things that users might want to get at on these systems. And so now instead of having to write code and and sort of Python scripts or PowerShell, or Bash, or that kind of thing. Folks just write a little bit of SQL, and the OS query system helps to normalize everything into a schema, where you can start to join different data sources together, and avoid having to really write code so you can just get quicker to the answers that you're looking for.
1: Let's dive into what you would consider the MVP of fleet so that first version of the product you built. How long did it take to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life?
0: The MVP of Fleet was actually something that I built at my former company, Collide, and we built it in, I'd say, about six months. We essentially built Fleet as an OS Query management server. So we had OS Query, which is a great piece of software that runs on the individual endpoints or devices, if you will. We saw that people had needs to be able to manage the configurations, be able to deal with the logs coming out of those, and people wanted to be able to live query all of those devices and not just do these kind of actions on a single device. We we're pretty excited about Go, and we knew we needed to build a system that scaled effectively. So we used Go, and we built a backend in Go and a, a front end in React and, and JavaScript at that time. Later, migrated onto TypeScript, but at that time, JavaScript, and we built the, the, kind of that MVP over about six months with not necessarily the intention of open sourcing it at that time. We then later pivoted the the company and in essence started building a new related but completely new product. And it was at that time that we open sourced the original Collide Fleet code base. And that became the kind of MVP that Fleet, the project, and then later the company that we founded in, in 2020 was based off of that Abandonware open source but that people were starting to use and and that was what really caught my attention and, and got me motivated to continue investing in it later when I left Collide.
1: I hear you talking about sort of key moments and in, in shifts into going open source and a few other things. I'm curious if you can walk me through some of the big decisions and trade offs you had to make. You know, specifically around you know your approach, uh, when you made those decisions, any sort of technical debt you were taking on, or thing like that, and how did you cope with those decisions?
0: looking back, I think one of the biggest and most interesting decisions that we made was the decision that this had to be not necessarily React-based, but that was the technology that we chose, but that this had to be a React-based single-page application. And I think a, a really interesting consequence of that was, I don't necessarily think that helps move faster in terms of shipping product. In fact, I think using something more integrated like a server-side programming language with a, a templating engine and rendering static HTML with some JavaScript thrown in, I do think it helps you move faster. But the interesting thing in retrospect that I think was really important about that decision is that the downstream consequence of that is that Fleet uses the exact same APIs that are available to all of our end users and our customers so there's no notion of things that can be done through clicking around in our ui that can't be done through in api integrations that anyone builds and i think that is super powerful and it also means that our product itself can become a reference implementation of the apis as well What we find is, as our users get more deeply into things and they want to build integrations, we say, look, here, just use the same API documentation that we use to do our development. And if you want to see the real examples of that working, just open up the dev tools in your browser while you walk through our application and you'll see exactly how those APIs are being used. And I think that there's a really interesting power in that. So even though it makes it a little bit slower to ship product, I think it makes it that much easier and that much more powerful for this kind of new paradigm of
1: deeper integration into the tools. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Triple? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know Why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption-at-rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption-in-use with CipherStash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption-in-use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With CipherStash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL-native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cipherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cipherstashcom codestory and get started protecting your data. You've got MVP, you, you go to the open sourcing point, and uh, you're getting some traction. How, how have you progressed and matured the product from that point? And I'm curious about roadmap. Like, how do you build your roadmap? And what do you, what do, you do to make the decision that, okay, this thing is the next most important thing to build or to address with fleet? i'd split that into two like
0: one is the question of what do we build next and then the other big question for a a company like us which we're an open core company so we've got this sort of mit license truly open source and then we've also got these premium license features And, and this by the way is a business model that we've adopted directly from GitLab, and Sid C. Randy, the CEO and founder of GitLab, his kind of philosophy on how to do open-core business models. There's two really interesting questions. Like, one is, what do we build? And the other is, how do we figure out what's free and open source and what's premium? Ultimately, the first question of what do we build comes down to listening a lot and engaging a lot with the community of folks that are using the tools. And in particular, and it is so much easier now that we have a real company based around this because for multiple years, Fleet was me working as a consultant on sort of whatever individual feature I could find a client who wanted me to build and who would fund that. And so it was really tightly focused around following the money. I think that's one of the ongoing challenges with a lot of open source maintenance. As we've evolved, we're able to look a little bit more holistically at what we're hearing from our users across both the paid and the free open source users and start to synthesize our own ideas on what folks are really trying to do with these tools and what we can do to best enable them there it's looking at what the community of both free and paid users is doing to decide what to build next. And then to the question of what to put into free versus premium. Again, we go back to this philosophy that Sid has, has promoted and has done really successfully at GitLab, which is the buyer-based open core model. So we make sure that we build something that really is ready to use for individual practitioners. And then it has really appealing features and features that have clear return on investment for the buyers the people with purchasing power at the organizations that we'd like to sell to and so that way we're able to get adoption through open source adoption. And these folks are able to really use it and really get value from it. And then the people who have control of the pocketbooks, if you will, also really see the value and can then pull the trigger on unlocking that additional value, particularly the stuff that's more oriented towards them and less oriented towards the individual
1: contributors. Let's talk about teams. How did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you?
0: Finding the right balance of like people who are amazing engineers and who are inspired to build an awesome product and who don't want or have not been able to get into the biggest tech companies where they're paying massive compensation. It's an interesting kind of needle to thread because there are a ton of people out there who are super talented and who are for whatever reason not working at Fang. I as well had the experience of working at Fang at Facebook and while it was amazing in some ways, it didn't really hold my attention for that long in the way that working in smaller companies There's this interesting, like I said, needle to thread of finding these people who are talented and driven and yet not driven to plain corporate life. And we've actually had some really cool experiences of hiring uh, very junior engineers, but people who we saw a lot of promise, a lot of motivation in, and finding that they were able to really become amazing contributors to the team. It's been a combination of finding very non-traditional candidates who are just breaking into the field, but who've ultimately really paid off for us as now, not just entry-level, but really mid-level engineers. And then combine that with some select, excellent, more senior engineers who help us drive architecture and help to mentor those newer engineers. I look at this thing as like an engine. As we get it going more, we can keep continuing to push more of this kind of flywheel around and we'll be able to start bringing on more awesome, motivated junior engineers and training them up. And with that momentum, we'll also be able to continue to find more senior engineers who are not drawn to the kind of more stagnant, if you will, corporate
1: life. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud cost, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast.ai is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vasell, Edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Turso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. is lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech slash Code Story and get started today. That's T U R S O dot tech slash Code Story. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. So let's flip to scalability. This will be interesting to hear how you approach this or where problems arise here, but was Fleet built to scale efficiently from day one or? Are you fighting this as you grow in any sort of capacity? And tell me about those areas.
0: In most organizations, when you're thinking about scaling an application, let's say Facebook, because I I was there, Facebook scales based on the number of users. And each user has a bunch of content. And as the user's clicking around, there's going to have to be database calls and updates and that kind of stuff. The thing that I've always found a little bit unique about the fleet application scaling is that... The number of human administrative users, the ones who are making the API calls through clicking around in the UI or through running their scripts or that kind of thing, even in a very large organization, that number of users is probably only in the dozens or something like that. However, our other big API client is the actual agents that are running on the individual devices and that are checking in and updating large amounts sometimes of data that we need to store in our databases. And so we have typically in fleet deployments, multiple orders of magnitude difference in scale of the throughput on each of the these kinds of API endpoints. So probably if you have 10 human users on a fleet deployment, you probably have 10,000 or up to maybe 100,000 computers or devices that are checking in regularly. So we have to think really differently about scaling these different kinds of endpoints. It's not just the throughput, but it's also there's some, I think, user experience related latency considerations. Those humans want to see responses quickly, but it's often that the human based API endpoints need to have low latency but also relatively low throughput. Then, when you look at the API endpoints that the devices, the agents on the devices are using to check into, the latency actually tends to matter a lot less, but the throughput matters a lot more. And so, we have to think about these things a bit differently. So, then you, you asked, was it built to scale from day one? And thinking about MVPs, and this kind of thing i would what i would say is it was built with the understanding it would need to scale from day one but it did not fleet would work up to until you're managing about three four five thousand devices with it and then it would start to fall over as the devices themselves essentially overwhelmed the database and things weren't optimized for that but it was always intended that we would be able to optimize the portions that needed to be optimized. Through a couple of sort of major revisions and then just incremental efforts since then, now the product or the platform will scale up to some hundreds of thousands of devices connected. So it's been multiple orders of
1: magnitude of increased ability. So as you step out on the balcony, and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? The thing that I'm most proud of, again,
0: five years ago, and even just over three years ago, I was the sole maintainer of this project. There were a handful of organizations using it and very excited about it. But the thing that's most exciting to me is looking at fleet the organization and the number of people who are now making their living working on this project and who are pretty dedicated and excited about what we're doing and the number of customers and open source users that have also grown massively and so just seeing the impact that this has made on people and and also knowing that while we're building a business that's sustainable and will hopefully someday be profitable, but it's, it's certainly growing quite a bit through the venture-backed model, I'm just really proud to see how the impact has grown on both ends for both people who are using Fleet to get their job done and people who have made working on Fleet into their
1: career. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: Probably some of the, the biggest mistakes over time have been made in, in scaling. And in particular, there were things that we didn't understand initially or we didn't anticipate initially about the properties of a system with so many devices trying to check in. And so we definitely made some mistakes over time. In particular, how does the system recover when unusual conditions take place? And the way that this kind of thing manifests is that in the product, we have quite a bit of information that we want to keep up to date. And if you ever start to fall behind on keeping that information up to date, then you just imagine it's like you've got a a dam and the water is starting to back up behind it and you can't really let any more water through. So it's just building up bigger and bigger. I think that we under anticipated in earlier versions of Fleet, like the potential for that water to just keep building back, building up and the amount of data that needs to be ingested to keep building up. This is a somewhat common problem in in distributed systems and one that we've continued to engage on. Under-anticipating the effects of that buildup and then finding that it could be really hard to recover from... The inevitable small outages turning into bigger outages. So, I think that some really interesting learnings that we had around that were figuring out how do you take a system that's integrated performance and let it come back online slowly without being like just overwhelmed by the deluge of backed up data that it needs to ingest and that kind of thing. Again, I think these are perennial problems in larger systems and I think that each system has its own slightly novel properties we've had to do quite a bit of learning and I think trial and error to ultimately get to a place where we have a quite stable system
1: this will be fun to ask and it's always interesting to hear The excitement come out in one of the founders' voices. Tell me what the future looks like for Fleet, the product, and for your team. Historically, Fleet has been a
0: telemetry product. So let's view the state and let's record the state and provide insights based on the state of our systems and the events that are happening in our systems. And the big thing that Fleet has been moving into this year is actually the active management of the system. So we released in April Mac OS... MDM, so its functionality to fully manage macOS devices from the first time they're open to ultimately deprovisioning them through remote lock and wipe if, if that's necessary. What we're working on now and we will be shipping by the end of this year is is the same for Windows. And I think the thing that's really exciting is taking all of these concepts that we've built that are meant to be able to be composed together because there's command line tools and there's APIs and there's configuration as code around it, all this powerful stuff. And combining that from not just telemetry and driving insights, but to the active management of devices and really being able to start to replace some of the big and really entrenched tools that we think are ultimately not serving the practitioners and and IT and security as well as they can be. So I think that for me, definitely the most exciting thing is just the increasing surface area that we're going to be able to impact through everything that we're doing.
1: Zach, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why.
0: I already mentioned him once, but Sid C. Brandy at GitLab, I think is really a pioneer of buyer-based open core business model that, that we've been pursuing, but as well, there's something more about sort of the, the ethics and the transparency with which he's pursued everything. GitLab, the company has an amazing open handbook that just has a wealth of information about how they run the organization. And to me, it's so cool, this concept of sharing this kind of information. And so for us... As the founders at Fleet, we've been paying a lot of attention to what GitLab has done to address building a business. And we've also adopted a lot of those principles around transparency. And so I... I just love that, and I I love to see what SID has done. And, uh, of course, you've probably heard it from my excitement throughout this, but I'm just a huge fan of open source, and seeing people who have made open source work into real business models is something that I am just absolutely excited about.
1: So we talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? This doesn't have to be something that didn't work. could have worked even well, but maybe you'd tweak it a little bit.
0: I actually would have liked to hold on for a little bit longer to see if things were working. We're in an industry that's so fast-paced, and we read a lot of content around staying lean and iterating quickly and pivoting and that kind of thing. And I think it is definitely super important to be realistic about what's working and to move quickly and to experiment quickly and that kind of thing. But I also think in in enterprise software, like things do take time and adoption does take time and I think that I could look back on times in my journey where we pivoted too quickly and I would have liked to see what would have happened if we held on a little bit longer and waited and worked with our customers and our users to to understand things a bit better before moving
1: on. Zach, last question. So You're getting on a plane, and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it, they can't wait to show it off to the world, can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: Product market fit is everything, and building something that people actually want to buy is everything. Don't give away your product for free, because I think it doesn't give you the proof that you need to yourself and to your potential investors and the actual money that you need flowing into your business to to grow believe in what you're doing enough that you're willing to charge for it and find customers who believe in it enough to pay for it and let that be a real indication of the actual economic value that you're driving and then don't let economic value dissuade you from doing things that you're passionate about but if you're trying to build a business then i think be really be really realistic about product market fit and the ability to actually sell whatever it
1: is that you're building couldn't agree more that's fantastic advice well zach thank you for being on the show today and thank you for telling the creation story of fleet thank you so much for having me and this concludes another chapter of code story